So we are having a Vision Sunday today. We've scheduled five for the year. And at each Vision Sunday, we speak about one of the values of our church, our five values. And today I'm speaking about a value that's called intentionally outwards. And as a church, we came to these values with a long process, and, and quite a few of you were involved in that. And there's a nice long description of what it means to be intentionally outwards. And I'll see if we can send it maybe out to everyone this week because it's quite um, thick <laughs> and it's a lot to absorb in one moment. And I'm just going to summarize it. So when we say as a church we are intentionally outward, we're saying we believe Jesus loves everyone and we believe he wants to reach everyone. We believe he uses us. We believe each person has different giftings and opportunities. Your biggest opportunities to reach the world, the love of Jesus, is not at church. This is where we grow and we get inspired, but it's everywhere outside of church that we have the opportunity to actually reach. And God uses us in different ways, and we all grow in the specific way that God uses us. And sometimes and often it's good to partner. We believe in working together. Um, when we reach out, when we love, we challenge ourselves to grow in the specific way that God uses us. And we open our eyes to see where that is. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. Um, you know, I, was, I studied, um, I almost said computer engineering. Raina studied computer engineering. I studied industrial engineering. And I was a business analyst, and I used to work for Denel, which is a big um, engineering company who makes primarily missiles and weapons. And I was working up in Pretoria, and I just started working, and the company where I worked was kind of, um, everyone was older, and everyone was male. So I didn't really fit the, the normal profile, and it was really challenging. Um, I even always look younger than I am, <laughs> and I was very young, and I looked even younger. I looked like, you know, a little girl, yeah, playing dress-up at work, um, and the culture wasn't easy. It wasn't very acceptable for what I looked like. <laughs> so in that way, it was often very challenging, um, but I really wanted to trust God for what he wanted to do and why I was there. I tried to do my work well, be respectful, because I often didn't feel like I was respected. Um, and trusted the Lord for opportunities. And we were sitting in our office, four of us together, and there was another lady in my office, and she was on the phone. And we're all sitting in our office together, so I can hear what she's saying. <laughs> and um, she was really upset about some health issues. And I just felt that I should actually offer to pray for her. But now it's the first few months of working. I'm already intimidated. I'm already struggling to fit in. And I don't know really this lady. And also, I mean, I don't know if she's Christian or not. What is she going to think if I offer this? And is it even going to work? <laughs> and what am I going to do if it doesn't? And am I going to pray now in front of the other two people sitting here, or how is this going to work? And I just said, you know, I often try and challenge myself in that boldness to just do it. And rather sooner than later, because once you've thought about it too much, then you end up not doing it. You know what I mean? So I just walked in, I said, um, kind of softly, um, if you want, I can pray for you. And she was like, yes. And 
I'm like, okay, um, let's find a boardroom. <laughs> now, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to use the boardrooms. I don't really know how it works. But I'm just like, it's not going to work right here. So I'm, we're walking out into the hallway. There's an open boardroom. We're going in. I'm so new. I don't, I feel a bit like, I don't even know if this is allowed. But anyways, we're in the boardroom, closing the door. I sit and I pray for her. And she just cries. And she immediately feels something's different. And she wasn't fully healed, but she started on a good journey. Um, and I obviously, I didn't even know which way this would go. And I was just so relieved um, that the Lord answered. And it's not always like that. I shared this morning, um, I've literally once said to a guy, um, you know, I feel I should pray for your brother who's sick. And then the guy was like, I don't have a brother. <laughs> so it doesn't always go <laughs> according to plan. And then you have to say, I'm sorry, it's my mistake. Um, but that's how you learn. You kind of have to take the risk. And in terms of this value of being intentionally outward, we recognize that God uses each of us in our daily lives where we're at. He wants to use us to love people. He wants to use us to reach people. And even this, the times when you really get it wrong or when people really say no, and because people can say no, and you should respect that if someone doesn't want you to pray, um, even in those times, if you approach people with love, I've never had someone offended. They might not want you to pray for them, but they don't get upset if you don't approach them as an assignment or tick box. But asking God to show you his love for them. Um, just so, I've been so encouraged this year. My daughter's best friend at school um, is from a Muslim family. And we've met the family, and it's very, they're from a very um, tight Muslim community. And we've been to some of their parties, and I'm obviously thinking, obviously we're going to pray for them, we're going to trust the Lord for their lives, but it's not going to be easy, because it's a very strong social structure. And, I, you know, for someone to step out of that is going to be, it's going to have a big impact. And... Um, you know, honestly, like, intentionally, I want to have been, I want to tell you that I've been praying for them every day this year, but I haven't, honestly. I think I have maybe four times, and that's not enough. I should have done more, um, but that's the truth. You know, I should have led my daughter to pray for her friend every night, you know, I wish I could tell you that, but I haven't. <laughs> I think we've done it once in seven months, which is not a great stat. And um, in my head, I was just thinking of, you know, the impact of the situation and thinking this is really like a long-term plan. This is not going to happen in a year. We, we're going to have this relationship for a long time and really trust the Lord. And we come to school one morning and her dad's dropping her off. And he, um, I said to him, how's Ramadan going? And he said, no, actually... His daughter's too young, his wife's pregnant, so she's not doing Ramadan, and he's got severe back pain. And he's on painkillers, which he needs to eat to drink the painkillers, so none of them are actually following Ramadan this time. And I said, I'm so sorry about your back. And he explained to me, it's years and years and years of injury, and it's gotten worse and worse, and he's increased his pain medication up to the point where he's on the maximum now, but it's not working anymore. And now there's nothing more to do. So I said to him, um, well, actually, because now I know, well, I wouldn't mind praying for him, but it's a Muslim man, and it would not be appropriate for women to pray for him. So I said to him, you know, my husband prays for people who are sick, and next time 
you know, we see you, he can pray for you. And he said, no, actually, I've already prayed for myself because I have the gift of healing, and it didn't work, so it's fine. So I said, well, you know, sometimes I pray for myself, and then it's kind of, it's hard to pray for yourself, and then I let someone else pray for me, and sometimes that just works. (laughs) And then he was kind of like, okay, but, you know, no, thank you. (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) And um, then I told Rayna about this, and the next week there's this event at school where all the parents come to and now Rena's looking for him, and he's not there. And after the whole lunch thing, we go out, and we see, Rena sees him driving out of the parking lot. And Rena go, runs into the street and taps on his window, and he rolls down the window, and his daughter rolls down her window at the back, and she climbs out through the window to play with my daughter because they're best friends. So I'm like, well, now the guy's stuck. So I take the two girls and Evan Aiden. I'm like, I'll watch the kids. As long as Neil is with me, he's not leaving. And um, Rainer doesn't ask him. I hear Rainer saying, no, I hear Liana said your back's not well. I'm going to pray for you. He's not like, can I pray for you? <laughs> but he was obviously um, just following the Holy Spirit, not saying we should be presumptuous and overbearing. Um, but he was really just following the Holy Spirit. And the guy got out of the car, and it's like next to the road. And um, I'm kind of watching, but I'm managing the kids. And Rainer's praying for him, and he's got his hand on his back. And I just hear the guy saying, it's getting warm. And then he says, no, the pain is leaving. And his eyes are, like, really big like this, like the pain is leaving. And, oh, my goodness, it's all gone. And Rainer's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then the guy's like, actually, there's a pain here. And (laughs) Rainer's got his hand here. And he says, you know, this is, um," Rainer says, I feel it's, like, heavy. There's something heavy on you. He says, yes, that's it. And he's like, let's take it off. Are you willing to let it? go. Yes, I'm willing to let it go. And Rainer's basically doing deliverance there. And um, the guy, afterwards, Rainer says to him, it's, it's like something heavy that was sitting on you. And he says, yes, I know. And he says, he prays for people for healing, and then their sickness comes on him. So he's doing a spiritual transaction because he's not doing it with Jesus. And he says to Rainer, you should be careful what you do because, you know, you're going to end up like me. And then Rainer could say to him, well, what we do is we don't take the sickness. We're giving it to Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross, and it's all taken care of. So actually, it's not, I'm not worried. I've <laughs> been doing this for a long time. It's not coming on to me. <laughs> um, and he, re- the, he really got that. And they were having this, it ended up in an hour conversation that they're having next to the road. And I'm just saying, how amazing is God? In my head, I'm thinking 10 years minimum you know, to walk out this journey. And God just comes along, he creates an opportunity, he takes the opportunity that's there, and he's opening hearts. And no one's gotten saved yet, but we're trusting the Lord, and this is a big step. Now, hear how crazy this is. The next week, Kenny, who who knows Kenny, one of the elders in church, one of his, I think one of his rims of his car fell off or something, and you know you need like the exact one, and he's looking on Gumtree, and he finds one. And he drives to the guy's house to buy it from him. And he sends us a picture, and it's this guy. In the whole of Cape Town, Kenny buys over Gumtree a rim from this guy. That is not possible. Do you realize that? It's not possible. What is the odds? It's like impossible. And Kenny and them start talking, and they 
realized they both know Reino, and Kenny knew the story by then. And obviously, Kenny was just, Kenny just said to him, bro, this is a sign. And apparently, he answered, yes, this is a sign. Like, this is not possible. And Kenny sends us a picture on WhatsApp of him in the sky, and we're like, what? <laughs> How crazy is God? God just really loves people. And God's not waiting for our performance, and he's not waiting for our perfection, and he's not waiting for us to get it so amazing. And if, you're, if you are a really good intercessor and you pray every day for the lost, that's really amazing. But even when you don't, God is still faithful. And I want to keep on growing in my capacity to pray for people, but even when I fail, God just loves people so much. When I bring what I have, he wants to use that to speak into their lives. Um, I'm going to read to you from Exodus 3, story of Moses. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So essentially, Moses is at work. Okay, he's going to work. He's at his job. For some of you, it's like he went to class on a Monday. Okay, he's walking on campus, he went to class. Moses is doing the thing that he does every day. It's not, he's not at church. He's just at his job. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. God's suddenly doing something right there where he is living his normal day-to-day -day life. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Okay, so he notices God is doing something. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So Moses actually has to say, I will now turn aside. So firstly, he is at least open to the possibility that just in his normal day of life, God is doing something. Then he notices God is doing something. Okay, this is me sitting at my desk and my colleague is speaking about a house on the phone. Okay, I'm open to the possibility that God is doing something. Now, he says, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. So he's saying, I'm actually going to stop now and give attention to what God is doing. Whatever this thing is that I noticed, I'm going to give attention Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. God was waiting to see if Moses is going to give attention to the burning bush. So this story could have possibly been, Moses was tending the flocks, there was a burning bush, Moses noticed it, he kept on walking, end of the story. That could have been the story. It might seem strange that, you know, it seems like, no, but there was a bush burning, I mean, Come on, he wasn't just going to walk past. It's a desert. I don't know, maybe that happened. Maybe things burn sometimes. Moses actually had to make this decision, and the scripture says, the decision was, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. I'm going to give attention. I'm going to be open to God doing something in my daily life, at Beacon Bay, on campus, in my class, on the jammy. I'm going to notice that God is doing something, and then I'm going to give attention to it. When God saw that he gave attention to it, verse 4, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
when God saw he was giving attention, then God called him by his name. God didn't just say, like, hey, you. He said, Nyasha, Tapiwa, Lydia. He called him by his name. What is your name? Your name is a marker of your identity. And I'm not saying that whatever your name is right now is your full identity. Um, you need to ask God about that. What does God call you? That's your full identity. God calls you as you. He calls Sifa as Sifa. Everything that Sifa is, the gifts that she has, the abilities, the potential, the way he wants to use her, in that moment he calls her as her. Not, he doesn't go like, you know, oh, there's something happening on this Jamie bus. Where's Jamie? Okay, Jamie's not here. Okay, Sifa. <laughs> God doesn't do that. He has set it up in that moment. In that moment, he's not wanting to use Jamie. In that moment, he's wanting to use Sifa. And he doesn't want to use Sifa exactly like he uses Jamie. He wants to use Sifa as he uses Sifa. And that's our responsibility to find out what that is and to grow in that and to walk in that and to steward that. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Okay, God always being the gentleman. He never overrides you. You know, it's, it's quite a thing when you have children to learn not to control them. Um, and, and I know that we often grow up like that. We grow up with parents who did not know any better and who wanted to control us. So when they ask you to do something, there's no choice involved. It's like, do this or else. But God is not like that. Sometimes we expect that from God without knowing that we expect that from him. But God doesn't do that. He's a gentleman and he waits for your response. He waits for Moses to say, here I am. He says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. So God is saying, I'm calling you as you are. And I don't know if this is going to be a surprise to you, but he's calling you as you are right now. Imperfect, unwhole, not perhaps fully sorted out. Sorry if there's some of you who are fully sorted out, <laughs> the rest of us. He's calling you right now as you are right now on that jammer bust. Even if you didn't have quiet time this morning and even if you didn't pray last night, he's calling you right now as you are right now. And Moses says, here I am. Here I am just who I am right now. Imperfect, unwhole, but here I am. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses gave his attention. God called him. Moses answered. Now we see that the manifest presence of God comes. Okay, where's God? Where is the presence of God and where is it not? Who knows? What does the Bible say? Nyasha says it's everywhere. Curvis, in your heart. Where is God not? His presence. Where is his presence not? Okay, so scripture actually says God is everywhere. Even in hell, it says. Hades. It says there is not a place where God's presence is not. God is omnipresent. Okay, so God is everywhere. So wherever you go, God's presence is. But there's a difference between God's presence 
and his manifest presence. Who knows the difference? So if you go to Beacon Bay right now, there's God's presence there. Does everyone in the shop know it? Why don't they know it? Do you know it? Maybe that's a good question. <laughs> the truth is probably that sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Is it there? Yes, it's there. Sometimes you'll walk there and you forget that it's there. It's even like I was praying, there was a river of peace here in the spirit. And sometimes it's here and you don't notice that it's here. But sometimes you notice. Now, when it becomes so noticeable that most people notice, it's the manifest presence of God. And people experience it different ways, so it's not always good to try and define it. Some people feel it, some people sense it, some people see it. It's different for different people, so you don't want to limit how people know. But if you walk into pick and pay and God does something, whatever that something may be, and most of the people in the shop suddenly realize God is there, that's the manifest presence of God. So Moses responded to God. God responded to him. Moses gave his attention to God. God called him. He responded. And suddenly we see enters the manifest presence of God. Obviously, this is one of the things we live for. This is, we want people to experience God. We want to experience God. Right now in the worship, we were experiencing the manifest presence of God. It's an incredible privilege that God would invite us into his presence. And I always find it, you especially see this at weddings of spiritual believers. If you stand right at the back in the worship, some of the people there would be Christians and some would not. And the manifest presence of God is normally in the place. Very much so at weddings, because it's a very prophetic event, a wedding. And if the couple getting married invite the presence of God, it's always there. And it's so crazy to stand at the back and see that some people know that it's there and some people don't. That you could stand next to someone and be in the manifest presence of God and someone next to you could not be noticing. And this is one of our privileges, is to invite people into that. It's one of the giftings on Matthew's life. He invites people into the manifest presence of God. You've probably grown in your ability to enter into it because of Matthew guiding you. One of the ways in which God uses him. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. The whole of the Old Testament is a picture it's all, it really happened. It's real stories. But God was symbolically explaining things of the kingdom. So who knows what Egypt means? What is the symbolism of Egypt? Slavery? Who else? In what sense of slavery? What would it mean today? demonic oppression. Okay, so the Old Testament, there was Egypt. The Israelites were in Egypt. They were literal slaves. And God raised up Moses, and Moses delivered them out of Egypt. Okay, go and read the whole of Exodus, the whole story, the ten plagues, the desert, the promised land, all of that. It's a picture of our lives in the kingdom. Okay, Egypt is a picture of before you know Christ. 
your life is slavery and you're demonically oppressed. And people don't always realize that and it doesn't always seem that extreme, but that's what it is. You're not connected to Jesus, the source of life, yet. <laughs> and coming out of Egypt is a picture of salvation. In the New Testament, it says that when they went through the Red Sea, that's a picture of baptism. It's a literal picture of baptism. They went through the water. And the New Testament says it. It says this is the picture of baptism. You came from Egypt. You came from slavery, from not knowing Christ. You came to salvation, delivered out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through baptism, and into the promised land. What is the promised land? Jesus. What does the promised land mean right now? Who of you are living in the promised land? Okay. I either need to do a salvation altar call right now, <laughs> or I need to just inform you that you are living there. Okay, so the promised land is not just heaven, one day where we're going. When we come out of Egypt, sometimes some of us walk for 40 years in the desert, that's true. And try not to do that, it's not helpful. But then you come to the promised land. The promised land is where you are connected to Jesus. It's where we pray, Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every possibility is there through the cross. When you're on the other side of the cross, when you've accepted the cross of Jesus, you're living in the promised land. It might not look like heaven. There's brokenness and there are problems and everything doesn't always work out because we're still in this world. But the provision is there. The provision is there and you're connected to Jesus. So Jesus says, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. Jesus is saying, and I'm going to translate it for you. I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are at UCT and in Cape Town. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I've come to deliver them from a place of not knowing me. And to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, etc., I've come to deliver them out of the place where they don't know me and to bring them into that land that's good and large, flowing with milk and honey, to bring them to the place where they know me, where, where is, the, is the cross, there is the provision, there is healing, there's salvation, there's deliverance, there's fullness of life, there's provision, there's abundance, there's goodness, there's relationship, there's deliverance, there's freedom. Good and a large place flowing with milk and honey where they know me. And I'm the source of everything. Now, therefore, behold, verse 9, the cry of the children of UCT and Cape Town has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the demonic realm oppresses them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you that you may bring my people, the children of Cape Town and UCT, out of slavery, out of the place where they don't know me. And, of course, what always happens? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go and that I should bring the people of UCT and Cape Town who don't know you into relationship with you? Who am I? What do I have? I don't have maybe 
you know, so much skill, gifting, anointing, miracles. Who am I that I should do it? And Jesus, God says, verse 12, I will certainly be with you. This is his answer. Can Moses save someone? No. Can you save someone? Can any of us save someone? And I believe this is one of the things that the Lord wants to lift off us, is that burden or that expectation. Can't save someone. No one of us can save someone. And when you live with that pressure on yourself, that you should be saving people, then you will always be living from condemnation and guilt. And you'll be prone to approach people as tasks and agendas and tick lists. And people will realize people don't respond well to being a project. It's not um, loving or honoring. But Jesus gives us the deal breaker here, the clincher. He says, Moses says, who am I? And Jesus says, I will be with you. Doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what you have or you don't have. That's not the point. You're not going to save anyone. I am. This is the point. The point is I'm going with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Do you know, one of the things that I've learned as a Christian, which is amazing, is just, you know, Galatians says, do not lose heart. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will also reap. And it's a real reality in the kingdom. When you sow, you reap. But what I've learned and what has really helped me is that you don't always, it's not always directly related. You always reap what you've sown in nature, in principle. You're not going to reap goodness if you've sown evil. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But Typically, what I've seen happen in my life is I will pray for someone um, that I, that's maybe a friend that I love, that doesn't know Jesus, pray for them for a year, really speak to them about Jesus, really invite them to church, never come. And maybe after a year, that friend will be like, you know, I've really made up my mind, I'm going to be an atheist. This is it. And actually, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And it's kind of like, I really felt God wanted me to reach this person, and I really put a lot into it. I was not, probably not perfect, probably not as much as I could have, but I did put a lot in, and there's nothing out of it. And then, you know, typically what you do is you go, did God really want me to reach out to this person? So the first thing I want to say is what I've learned in my life with Jesus. God asks you sometimes to do things that's not necessarily going to work out. So I, I have sometimes had dreams about asking someone in church for a specific role. As in, I know that I need to ask that person, and that is what God wants them to do. Of course, I don't say that to people because that's manipulation. <laughs> so I'll just say, you know, I was thinking about this thing, don't you want to pray about this role? And the person will pray about it, come back to me and say, no, I don't feel I should do it. <laughs> then I'm like, okay. <laughs> then I say, okay, that's fine, you know that's what I wanted. I wanted you to pray about it. But now I know that God told me to ask that person, and I know that that's what God wanted them to do. And you know what I've learned? God wanted me to ask them, even though God knew they would say no. God actually did want that for them, and he, still, he wanted me to ask, even though he knew that they were going to say no. 
Just because he knew they would say no, didn't make him not ask me to ask them. Because God still gives them the opportunity. That's how good God is. And I don't control the outcome. I just control my obedience. I don't, I'm not responsible for the outcome. I can't make someone say yes to something. That's manipulation. That's demonic. That's control. I can just be obedient in terms of God telling me to ask. That's my obedience. I ask. And then that's it. And I don't get to determine how God works in their life. Sometimes this is part of their journey. God wanted me to ask. He knew they would say no. It would be wrong of them to say no. But I don't know what God is doing in their life through that. You know what I mean? That's not my business. <laughs> and in the same way, sowing, I might have this friend and we go through this whole year and nothing comes of it. And I know that Lord, the Lord wanted me to pray for this person. And the next month, someone else that I don't even know comes to me and basically asks to come to church. And I didn't pray for them and I didn't really try. And they come to church with me and they really get saved. And you know what I've learned? It's the harvest from the sowing. I sowed into one person and I didn't see anything, but the harvest came somewhere else. And this is the truth in the kingdom. The harvest comes. If you sow, you reap. But it doesn't always look like what you think. And you don't always reap in the same place where you sowed. But you are not the one who makes the harvest grow. You know, Paul sowed, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. Don't take responsibility for something that you, that's not up to you. Your responsibility is obedience. Our responsibility is obedience, and it's love. God is the one who brings the results. And we, when we take that off from ourselves, it frees us to love people. Because we're not loving them with an agenda or a specific result in mind. We're loving them because they are valuable, because Jesus loves them and they are worthy to be loved. If you know for a fact that someone will never receive Christ in their life, it does not make them less worthy to be loved. They are valuable and they are worthy to be loved because Jesus died for them. And that's our role. Moses said, who am I? God said, verse 12, it doesn't matter because I will be with you and this shall be a sign to you. Once you've brought them out of Egypt, they shall worship God with you on this mountain. There will be a harvest. As we sow, worshiping God with you on the mountain is very literally like be with you in church. Okay, so here we are right now worshiping. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we're on a mountain. Okay, it's pretty literal. <laughs> so for you guys, it really applies. Um, when you bring them out, they will serve God with you on this mountain, on Table Mountain. <laughs> Worship with you on this mountain. There will be a harvest, as we said. It might not look like always what we think, but the harvest is certain. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. So all of us saying to God, When I go to the people of your city and Cape Town who don't know you, and I say, God has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am. Tell them I am who I am. Um, God's revealing something important here. What's the most important thing that people we need to trust to convey is who God is. 
the love what Jamie shared. It's such an important thing that we need to communicate. God is good. We need to believe it ourselves first. God is really good. He's really always good. Um, because people don't know that God is good. Sometimes we don't know that God is good. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Why? Why is it his goodness? Is it the basics of relationship? A relationship is built on trust. Okay, so how do you know if you can trust someone? You see over time what their intentions are. Do they have good integrity? Do they do what they say? Can you believe them? Are they selfish or do they think of others? So in a relationship, over time, you see what someone is like. And based on how good they are, it's kind of and the intention in the relationship, that's how much you can trust them. And how much you can trust them is how much freedom you have in the relationship. A relationship with someone who's really let you down, there's not a lot of trust there, so there's not a lot of freedom. So you don't share your secrets, you don't rely on them. You trust the one that you've seen over time is for you that's good. So in our relationship with God, the more we realize how good he is, the more natural it is for us to trust him. And I can tell you right now because the Bible says that he's ultimately good. But that has to be real for you. You have to wrestle that in your life. So the more that you know he's good, the more you trust him. The more you can trust him, the deeper the relationship becomes and the more freedom there is in that relationship. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It doesn't take anything supernatural to see someone's mistakes. It does take supernatural eyes to see what God wants someone to become. And that's how God sees. People are blown away by God when they realize that he sees the good in them. It's not very often convincing to people when they realize God sees all the negative in them. We tend to see all the negative in ourselves already. We don't normally need someone to point it out. <laughs> but very few people see the good in them. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And God says to Moses, tell them, I am. Who, what does it mean when God says, I am? You know, it's so good with my kids. I read Bible to them. Kitty Bible. Like a, we have like a cartoon one, which is quite cool, like a comic strip. And um, it's so amazing when they ask questions because I have to answer them. And I don't always know. Really, like you have to really think about it. So if he says to me, what does it mean when God says, I am? So what does it mean? You know, I can't give my five-year-old a theological explanation. <laughs> I have to tell him something that he can understand. And then I have to challenge myself whether I understand it. Do I actually know what it means? And I'm, I don't have the full answer for you. You can go and wrestle with it. But one of the things it means is I am everything. I am. I'm healing. I'm provision. I'm love. I'm good. I'm God. I am. I am everything. So it's so important when God uses us to reach out. What is important is, is who we show God to be. And in order to show someone who God is, you have to know yourself. This is the journey, learning to know who God is, and then also being able to give that over to someone. Verse 15, God said to Moses, 
You shall say to the children of UCD and Cape Town, the Lord God of your fathers has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together. Say to them, the Lord of God of your fathers, of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me. I've surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I've said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, etc., flowing with milk and honey. They will heed your voice. You shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. You shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews had met with us in the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So going in the spirit, praying for someone, essentially saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, I'm trusting for this person to have an encounter with God. And I love this verse 19. Now, this is what God says. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. Don't you just love that? It's like, go in and contend for their freedom, but let me just tell you as God, I'm sure that you will not let them go. Don't you find that funny? Go to Pharaoh and ask to let them go, but I'm telling you as God, so I'm obviously right about this, that he's not going to do it. Not even, what's the exact words? Not even by a mighty hand. So as we trust the Lord to reach people who do not know him yet, we can be sure that there's going to be a fight. There's a contention. We can be sure that the demonic realm is not just going to let them go. Think of your own salvation. What did it take for you to get saved? How many years, how many people, how many encounters, how many journeys? You're probably still on some journeys in your salvation. What did it take for you to encounter God? Was it easy? Did, did someone just walk up to you, tell you about Jesus, and the entire demonic realm just let you go in that moment? Everything just, you know, fixed itself. And you were just in perfect peace, completely whole, healed, delivered, saved, just because someone asked. Did it work like that for you? So Jesus says, I'm sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand, Jesus, saying, and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. God says, I'm the miracle-working God. As you're reaching out to people, there will be miracles. There will be the supernatural. This is a fact. Except that there will be a fight. This is fact number one. It's not going to be easy. It's People are not just going to fall into the kingdom of God. The, the, the demonic realm is not just going to let them go. But fact number two is, I will stretch out my hand and I will do wonders. And I know that God wants to do his wonders and move the supernatural through every person in this room. Every one of you. No, ex, no exclusions. As you love people, God... He's taking you on this journey and he wants to do the supernatural through you because that is what it takes. That is what it takes for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That is what it takes to reverse the wrong that's happened. It takes the supernatural. Do you know that he wants to do it through you? Every single one of you, do you know that? And it's not based on your perfection and it's not based on how hard you try. There's a journey for sure. We grow in it, definitely. It's a skill you develop, definitely. 
There's authority, intimacy with Jesus, lots of things we can grow in. But no one is excluded. And as Moses said, here I am. But God wants for us to say, here I am in this moment right as I am now. As imperfect as I am now, as unwhole as I am now. I'm not going to wait for a better day because I didn't have quiet on this morning. Here I am right now, as I am right now. And God says, I want to use you right now. Because it's not about you. You're not going to save anyone anyways. It's me. I'm the one who does it. Chapter 4, Moses said, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. So the Lord is teaching Moses signs and wonders. So there's a place where we commit ourselves to grow in the supernatural. Where God teaches us. Goes through another one, another one. Just want to find this verse. 26. Exodus 4 verse 26. No, that's not the right one. 27. The Lord said to Aaron. So he's worked now with Moses. And Moses says, okay, he's going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to do the wonders. And he's going to trust God to that Pharaoh would let the people go. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which the Lord had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he did signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So this long journey of Moses with the Lord, and I believe as the Lord is calling each one of us tonight. And then the next thing he says is he speaks to Aaron and he says to Aaron, go and join Moses. And as we look at this value of intentionally outward, this is one of the things we say. Every one of you has a calling. You all have a gift. you many gifts you all have different ways in which God uses you but it's not like a whole lot of individual boxes sitting in this room everyone in his little box with his gifts and his thing and his calling the kingdom doesn't work like that God himself it's God Jesus Holy Spirit in relationship everything in the kingdom is to do with relationship so we're all in this room together and the way that God uses us overlaps and there's connection and there's partnership God works through Moses, and he will work through each one of us, but then he sends Aaron. And sometimes you're Moses, and sometimes you're Aaron. (laughs) And sometimes you have to know when it's the time to be which one, and sometimes you're both at the same time. So you have to learn what is it that you bring, and then we bring it together. Do you know how different it is when you've got a friend who does not know Jesus and you're trying to talk to your friend all the time, whereas you have a meal or whatever and there's two of you, it's like me and Lydia, and we have Lydia's friends who do, friend who doesn't know Jesus. Do you know the difference between Lydia and her friend's conversation and then the three of ours conversation? Do you know that there's an, another momentum in the spirit? Just literally, there's another weight in the conversation. Because there's two of us who know the truth and can testify about it and can 
declare reality from two different ways. You know, this is um, such a good illustration. So my son's friend at school came to school with these nails painted. Then my son said he wants to paint his nails. Okay, so that's not going to happen. So um, I said to him, I don't want you to paint your nails. something that girls do. And then he said, no, but my friend did it. So I'm like, okay. Then I said to Evan Aiden, do you think, um, do you think daddy would paint his nails? And he laughed. He's like, no. And then I said, okay, well, then, then you know, you shouldn't. He's like, no, but I want to. Daddy won't, but I want to. I'm like, um, trying to not make too big a deal out of this, but I'm like, this is not happening. Um, and then I just said, Lord, help me. And in that moment, God just gave me an idea, and I said to Evan Aiden, do you know, you know, um, Wim Kenny, who's in church with us, who some of you know, one of our elders, because he also teaches kids' church, so my kids know him quite well, and we're friends. And I said, you know, Wim Kenny, do you think he would paint his nails? And Evan Aiden goes, no, no, he wouldn't do it. And I said, and you know, Wim Johan, which is another friend of ours who happens to also be an elder, I said, would he paint his nails? And Evan Aiden goes, no, no, he wouldn't paint his nails. And then I just thought of like four or five men that my son knows and whom he thinks are cool who would not paint their nails. And after we talked through about five of them, he was kind of like, okay, okay, I'm going to go play. And it was over. <laughs> and I was so grateful to God for community. Because sometimes for kids, what the parents believe is not enough. Because they're like, I don't necessarily want to be like you. You know, I'm not just going to do what you do. But in that moment, for my five-year-old son to have five examples of really cool men who do not paint their nails kind of settled it for him. Without me having to make a big deal out of it or having to go into discussions which he's perhaps not ready for and which might damage even his friend. Um, this is the value of godly community. And um, this is, would be the value... Lydia had her friend, and she was really trusting the Lord to influence her life, and there was someone else involved. And I knew the Lord was giving me the place to be the errand. And I pray for Lydia and for her friend. And a friend doesn't need to know that I'm praying for her. And I'm telling Lydia what the Lord is showing me about her friend. So it's not just Lydia contending on her own. I'm actually standing with her for her friend that I don't know. But that's not the point. It's not always about me. And I trust with her for the breakthrough. And that's what I want to encourage us with in this season. Um, it's Matthew. Oh, it's the iPad. Just maybe check if he wants to talk about the campaign in detail. So this is what I believe God is speaking to us at this moment. And you know the... When I was in high school, I felt like I was a Christian. I was a Christian to some extent. I felt like I should reach out to people because it's just what you do. You reach out to people. And I was so terrible at it, just kind of telling people if they don't know God, they'll go to hell. Can you imagine how much success I had? <laughs> Zero. Um, you know, and there's always two ways of approaching things. There's that where you just do it because you think it's the right thing to do. Or there's that understanding of God's heart and trusting the Lord to love people, and trusting the Lord to know that, you know, you walk your journey where you know He is good, so that it's natural for you to be able to show someone else that He is good. And 
in this season of intentionally outward, there's specific services that we set out to trust the Lord on this journey. So Matthew, I don't know if you want to explain about the campaign. All right, so um, we're really a church that believes in reaching to the lost. And, um, and in this church, for some of you that are new, we have, we've structured it kind of in, in three major departments where we have the families, we have the young workings, and we have the students. So the young workings and the, and the families, they meet in the morning. And we felt specifically that this month was very much a very important month for us to really raise up the Lord in the air of our identities. Uh, before we can go out there, we really need to know who we are. That's the reason why when, we, when you guys came back from the holidays, uh, I gave a sermon around identity. We had Encounter 3 yesterday. Then in September, we're going to have, we're going to run the campaign, which is going to be where we're going to be reaching out to the people, where we're going to be reaching out to each and, I mean, students. Basically, the campaign will run from September, where we're going to be doing a lot of evangelism, but we'll also be sharing around the different values, um, such as these things that were shared. We're going to be, we're going to go out there, and we're going to reach out to the people that are staying next door and all of that. So the campaign for us as students will be from September. So I would love you... We're going to share with you during the week perhaps the dates of when we start the campaign. That means uh, in those Sundays, you should already start thinking now of who you're going to invite. Maybe that stubborn guy in your class that doesn't know Jesus. Because we don't just want to have polite people here. We want to see everyone. I'm looking forward to see a church where people are coming, they are drunk. Some of them have tattoos. Some of them are lost, completely lost. All right? that they come and you trust, you intercede that when they come, they will truly encounter Jesus. So that focus will be primarily in September. So we're going to give you details uh, from next month on uh, how it's going to look like and how, what we're going to do and the different things that will be shared. And we're going to share specific dates. But in the morning, they are already going through it because uh, the phase where they are in, that's where they're at. And we want to make sure first that we sort out the whole conversation of identity. Some of you, I didn't see you at Encounter 3. So we need to talk about it. We need to talk about what, who are you, where are you at, is God doing, are you getting healed, and all of that. We're really trusting that all together, from the time of the campaign, that we are all in the best place where we truly know who we are and we truly know who God is. Amen. Cool. So I want you to close your eyes. And we're going to ask God a few questions. And the first one is, um, maybe you've already, you already have like a person or two that doesn't know Jesus and you know that you're reaching out to them. Then I want you to write down their names. If you don't, then this is where God's going to show you. So Jesus, I thank you for each person sitting here that you'll just show them now the face or the name of one or two people, Lord, that's in their sphere, that they, that's in their class, that they've seen on campus. Maybe it's their good friend. Not the person that you only see once a year. The, the people that you see every day. There's some people that God positions for you specifically. And God's going to be showing you them now. And you just write down. When God shows you the face, when he shows you the name, you write down those names. And tonight we're just going to start with what Moses said. God says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. So tonight, you're just writing down this name, and you're just saying, here I am. And it's not 
your performance now or how hard you're going to try. It's just a starting with a willingness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you show us who those people are. Not always who you think. Don't think about how possible it's going to be. It's like, oh, no, but this person is really far from church. Maybe this is going to be too difficult. Don't make those calculations. That's not your role. You never know how God does it. You just trust Him to show you the right person. And I want you to write down the names. Sometimes God speaks to you, and in, in the next day, you even doubt what He said. I give you a minute of two just to write down the name that God shows you of the face. second question you're going to ask God is just who do you want me where do you want me to be Aaron so think of your friends at church your small group Christian friends let God show you one or two people write down their names and then you're going to go to them and say can I pray with you is there someone that you're trusting for can I help you how can I help you I'll pray for them I'll, talk, I'll go with you with them to the movies or to dinner or whatever. How can I help you? How can I be the errand for you? I'll just see who God shows you. speak to you about that and in conclusion I just want to leave you tonight with a big announcement who knows what it's about okay so our church name used to be Shafaronabash right but as a group of people we don't just want to reach Ronabash and we don't believe God is just reaching Ronabash we do want to reach Ronabash Ronabash is actually such a small little square on the map, you know. God wants to reach the whole world. So we're going to be Shofar World. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Although, Raina would love that. <laughs> um, no, but we've really been spending time just praying, asking God. And even our office used to be in Ronabash, but now our office is in observatory. 
And if we call ourselves Shofar Observatory, then it means we're just saying now we're reaching observatory. And um, we've just really been trusting the Lord for what is it that He gives us? What is our portion in this season? What is our inheritance? Where does He want us to reach? And as of this week, we are Shofar Cape Town South. Woohoo! We're really excited about that, and it's it's really an indication of God stretching out our tent pegs as a church. So it's not limited. Um, the Lord is using us in Cape Town at the moment, and, and specifically in the south. And the other Shofar congregation in town are called Shofar Cape Town City. So we've also aligned the names so that there's a lot of partnership between us and them pursuing the kingdom together and we're really trusting to reach the whole of Cape Town, the whole of the Western Cape and we're not limiting that what God wants to do and we're grateful to God stretching out our tent pegs and our, the venue that we have now for the offices and the mornings is called Harvest Hope so for clarity it's show for Cape Town South at Harvest Hope <laughs> and it should be going up on all the social media this week and I want to show you our new logo you guys can put that up for me yeah that one so we've had a long process and we just designed a logo to go with the season, the lion, the eagle, and the oak tree, the three symbols that God has given us. The lion really speaking about the prophetic, the oak tree really speaking about UCD and what the Lord is doing here very significantly. And you guys are really chosen by God to be part of what he is doing here. The eagle really speaking about what he's doing there at Harvest Hope. And the, the HH is for Harvest Hope, but it's also made to look like that building with the two sheds and then the dove coat in the middle. And then the flame and the word hope in orange because it's the most important thing. We said if there's one thing that we're known for as a church that brings things together, it's hope. Jesus is hope and there is hope. And the hope is symbolized by the flame, which is the Holy Spirit. It's the supernatural. It's the revival. It's the fire of God in us. Even as I preach tonight about Moses' fire. Um, even Aiden always, once when Rainer asked him, he prayed for me, said, how do you feel? He said, I feel a fire in my heart. Just literally what my son said. Now Rainer always asks him, how's that fire? And then sometimes he'll say, no, it's strong. Or no, it's not strong. And then I read Moses to my kids the other day, which is actually what inspired my sermon. And then even Aiden said to me, mommy, it's that same fire fire that Moses is seeing, it's the same fire that's in my heart. How amazing how kids just sometimes understand these things. So that's our logo. And then the vision of our church, which has also been quite a process. You guys know the values, and I've been speaking about one tonight. Values is who we want to become. Vision is where we're going. So as a church, our vision is fathering a city towards revival. And really, for most of you guys, part of that is fathering UCT towards revival. And God is wanting to use each one of us by name in that process. So we're just really excited for that which the Lord gives us. Thank you guys. It's been such a privilege to be here. The Lord bless you. You guys are so amazing. It's really, um, I hope you know how incredible it is what the Lord is doing amongst you.